ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then we come to the next chapter Babun Qawlillahi Ta'ala Ayushrikuna ma la yakhluqu shay'an wa hum yukhlaqun wa la yastati'una lahum nasra Al-Ayah Once to read So here then in this chapter, the title of the chapter is the Ayah itself. And Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, does this sometimes, where the title of the chapter is just the Ayah itself. So, Babun Qawlillahi ta'ala, Qawlullahi ta'ala, أَيُشْرِكُونَ مَا لَا يَخْلُقُوا شَيْئًا وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ لَهُمْ نَصْرًا الْآيَةِ So this particular ayah, you can see, it is in the form of a question. The ayah 
is in the apparent form of a question. Ah, yushrikuna ma la yakhluqu shay'an wa hum yukhlaqun. Do they associate partners with that which cannot create anything and they themselves are created? It is in the form that is apparently a question. But these questions in the Qur'an, they may have different reasonings behind them, but the reasoning is never that it is a question for the sake of actually being a question. Because of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of asking the question. Allah already is aware of everything. So the purpose of the question isn't a question as such. There are other purposes behind it. And in this case, as is often the case, The question here is for the purpose of highlighting rebuke and rebuttal. It is a rebuke and a rebuttal upon them. As though to say, how can you be associating partners alongside Allah with those who cannot create anything? And they themselves are the ones who are created. How can it be that you are associating them as partners alongside Allah? It is a question in the form of a rebuke upon them. So the Shaykh says, in the ayah where it highlights how these others cannot create anything. So the worship that they are carrying out to others besides Allah, to those other entities of theirs, that worship is all completely false. And those so-called deities are not deserving of any worship. And one of the reasons mentioned here is that they do not have any rububiyyah. They do not have any ability to create anything. They are incapable and weak. Those other so-called deities that they call upon are incapable and weak and have no ability to create anything. And as for the one who deserves to be worshipped, then no doubt he is the one who is the creator and does create. فَالَّذِي يَقْدِرُ عَلَى الْخَلْقِ هُوَ الَّذِي يَسْتَحَقُّ الْعِبَادَةِ أَمَّا الَّذِي لَا يَقْدِرْ عَلَى الْخَلْقِ فَهَذَا لَا يَسْتَحَقُّ الْعِبَادَةِ So the one who creates, the creator, then that is the one who is deserving of worship. And as for the one who cannot create, then they are not deserving of any worship. 
As Allah mentioned right at the beginning, when you recite the Mus'haf, uh, the Quran from the beginning, Ya ayyuhannas, Wa'budu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum, Wal-lazina min qablikum, La'allakum tattaqun, Al-lazhi ja'ala lakum al-arda firashan, Wal-samaa binaa, Wa-anzala minas samaa maa, فأخرج به من الثمرات رزقا لكم فلا تجعلوا لله أندادا وأنتم تعلمون. In those opening ayat or in that section at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "O people, addressing all of mankind, O people, اعبدوا ربكم, worship your Lord." And then Allah gives a reasoning behind that. A reasoning is mentioned from amongst the many reasons. And the reasoning mentioned here is, O people, worship your Lord, the one who created you. He is your creator, and so he is deserving of your worship. And he created not only you, but those who came before you too. He created you, and he created those who came before you. He is Al-Khaliq. He is the creator of you and those before you. He is the creator. He is the one deserving of worship, therefore. And then it continues. The one who made the earth as a flat ground for you, as a resting place for you, and the sky as a canopy above you, and the rain was brought down from that sky, and the fruits they grew as the rain fell, and then the fruits they grew as sustenance for you. All of those things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did all of those things indicating the rububiyyah of Allah. And we know al-rububiyyah tastalzim al-uluhiyyah. That al-rububiyyah, it necessitates al-uluhiyyah. If Allah is the one who created you and created those who came before you, and He is the one who made this earth for you, and the sky as a canopy for you, and sent down the rain for you, and brought out the vegetation as sustenance for you. He is the one who did all of that. Then He is the one deserving of worship. And so here when Allah says, Ayushrikuna ma la shay'an? Are they associating partners with that which creates nothing? then this is an indication of the futility of that worship. Worshipping deities that cannot create, rather they themselves are created. That's why there's the joke that always is mentioned, that these people who worship idols these days, they worship physical statues and things, and they have those statues in their temples and in their homes, if you turn over the statue, it will say made in China at the bottom. <laughs> so these are the gods and these are the deities as they claim. 
So here Allah says, Ayushrikuna ma la yakhluqu shay'an. Are they worshipping that which cannot create anything? Allah mentions in the Quran also, Afaman yakhluqu kaman la yakhluq. Afala tadhakkarun. Is the one who creates the same as the one who does not? Do you not think and ponder? Is the one who creates the same or like the one who cannot create? So this is again a question form in the Qur'an to give you an understanding of the reality that of course, the one who creates, the creator is superior to the one who cannot create. The one who cannot create is not deserving of any worship. There's other examples, another ayat, but some of them are going to come in the later chapters anyway, so we'll come to those when we get there. فَفِي هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ يَقُولْ لَا يَخْلُقُ شَيْئًا يُشْرِكُونَ مَا لَا يَخْلُقُ شَيْئًا وَشَيْئًا نَكِرًا فِي سَيَاقٍ نَفِتَعُمْ This is a general principle. When you have an indefinite word, a nakira, in the context of a negation in Arabic, then it indicates that the negation is absolute. So here, they do not create shay'an, meaning they do not create anything. There is no exception to it, they can create this, they can create that. What if somebody says, but humans, we can create. Created the microphone, created the, uh, the tablet, created the table, created the walls and the buildings we create. So then what do we say? This is one thing the scholars have mentioned. Yes, we create. But the creation that we create it's a completely different thing to the creation of Allah. One of the obvious differences the scholars mentioned, as Shaykh Al-Thameen mentioned in either his Kitab Al-Tawheed or Al-Wasatiyah, that the creation of mankind in reality is only a transfer. It is not a creation. They created a book. But in reality, all they've done is transferred one material into another, taken it from the trees, the the papyrus, etc., and made it into books and paper. They made the microphone. All they've done is got these raw materials and transferred them from one state to another. That's the creation of mankind, transferring something from one state to another state and making something out of it. A table, they got the pieces, they put them together, they made the legs, you have a table. You always need some source material to create something from it. Whereas the creation of Allah, it is a creation from nothing. It is a creation from nothing. Whereas our creation is not anything of that nature. Our creation is simply a transfer of resources from one state to another state. So here, it mentions that they do not create anything, anything. An indefinite word in the context of a negation. 
يعني لا يخلقون أي شيء ولو كان قليلا ولو يجتمع العالم كله بما فيهم المهرة والصناع والمهندسون والطباء ويطلب منهم أن يخلقوا حبة شعير ما استطاعوا So here Sheikh Al-Fawzani says If you were to get all of the world together Every person of expertise Every person with skills Every manufacturer Every engineer All of the professors The doctors If you were to get them all together All of the people of expertise And tell them to create Even one grain of barley or wheat Out of nothing Create it just like that They would never ever be able to do so They would never ever be able to do so. You put them into an empty room and say from emptiness, from nothingness, create for us one wheat grain, one barley, one seed, and they cannot. ثُمَّ قَالْ وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ أي هذه المعبودات التي تعبدونها مخلوقات لله سبحانه وتعالى فهم لم يخلقوا أنفسهم ولم يخلقوا غيرهم فكيف تتخذونهم مع الخالق سبحانه وتعالى هل هذا إلا من باب المكابرة ومن باب العناد وهم يخلقون and they are created they do not create anything they are from the creations of Allah they themselves are created they do not create others So how can it be that you worship them? How can this be other than your great level of arrogance and pride and haughtiness and rejection of the truth? That you're going to worship those who cannot create a thing and they themselves are the created ones. فَالَّذِي يُشْرِكُ بِاللَّهِ أَيًّا كَانْ هَذَا الشَّيْءِ قَدْ قَامَتْ عَلَيْهِ هَذِهِ الْحِجَّةِ في أن هذا المعبود عاجز لكن أين العقول التي تفكر So anybody who now commits shirk associates partners alongside Allah then this evidence of this ayah is established or it is there as a proof because anything, anything that they worship besides Allah that thing will be under this ayah that it cannot create anything and itself it is created anything that they worship besides Allah will fall into that ثُمَّ قَالَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَ وَلَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ لَهُمْ نَصْرًا that these other so-called deities that they call upon and worship they cannot they are incapable of providing any help for them They are incapable of providing any assistance or help to them. A. هذه المعبودات وهذه الأصنام لا تملك نصرا لمن دعاها إذا وقع المشرك في كربة أو في ضيق أو في مرض لا يستطيع أحد من الخلق أن ينقذه إلا بإذن الله. That these idols and deities and whatever it may be besides Allah that they call upon they have no ability to offer any aid or assistance to the ones 
who call upon them. So if the mushrik who is calling upon them falls into some calamity, falls into some distress, falls into some illness, then nobody can save that person and aid that person except by the permission of Allah. And so the Shaykh quotes the ayah, وَإِذَا مَسَّكُمُ الظُّرُّ فِي الْبَحْرِ ظَلَّ مَنْ تَدْعُونَ إِلَّا إِيَّاهِ That when the calamity or the harm overcomes you on the sea, when they're about to drown and the ships are about to sink, then you forget all others and you only call upon Allah. And similarly, like we mentioned last time, أَمَّنْ يُجِيبُ الْمُضْفَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءِ who is the one who answers the one in distress when he calls upon him and removes that evil from him? Allah alone. So all of these other deities of theirs, they are incapable of anything. قُلْ أَفَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ إِنْ أَرَادَنِي اللَّهُ بِذُرِّ هَلْ هُنَّ كَاشِفَاتُ ذُرِّهِ أَوْ أَرَادَنِي بِرَحْمَةِ هَلْ هُنَّ مُمْسِكَاتُ رَحْمَتِهِ قُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهُ Say, do you see those who you call upon besides Allah? If Allah wanted some harm upon me, then would they be able to remove that from me? Or if Allah wanted some mercy upon me, would they be able to stop, to withhold that mercy from me? قُلْ حَسْبِيَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ يَتَوَكَّلُ الْمُتَوَكِّلُونَ Say, sufficient for me is Allah. Hasbi Allah. Sufficient for me is Allah. And upon Allah, those who put their trust, put their trust in Him. فَالنَّصْرُ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَلَوْ كَانَتْ هَذِهِ الْمَعْبُودَاتِ تُغْنِي عَنِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ شَيْئًا مَنْ هَزَمُوا فِي بَدْرِ وَلَنْ هَزَمُوا فِي الْأَحْزَابِ the Shaykh says, if these other so-called deities of theirs had some ability to provide them assistance and aid and help and victory, if these so-called deities of theirs had that ability, then the mushrikun would not have been defeated in the battle of Badr. And they would not have tasted the defeat in the battle of Al-Ahzab. Al-Khandaq, when they dug the trench, or neither would they have been defeated in the conquering of Mecca or on the day of Hunayn. All of these incidents where the mushrikun were defeated, where were these so-called deities of theirs, if they are indeed able to assist and aid and provide victory for them. A proof that they have no ability to provide anything. And as for the believers, then Allah aided them and gave them victory. Despite the fact that the Muslims were so small in number, كانوا في بدر in the battle of Badr, they were, in some reports, 310 odd. 
313, 311, 310 odd. That was their figure. And in that battle, the mushrikun, there were more than a thousand of them. Three times the figure. وَالْمُسْلِمُونَ لَيْسَ مَعَهُمْ عُدَّةٌ وَلَا صِلَاحٌ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ And in that battle, the Muslims didn't even have hardly any weapons. Actual physical weapons, they had hardly anything. Their armory, hardly anything in that battle. وَالْمُشْرِكُونَ مُدَجَّجُونَ بِالصِلَاحٌ And the Mushrikun, they had come fully armored. The Mushrikun, with three times the number, fully armored. In battle equipment and gear at the time, and the Muslims, a short number, a small number of them, 310 odd, with hardly any weapons, hardly any armory, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aided them and gave them victory in that battle against the mushrikun. So, where were the deities of the mushrikun if indeed they have any ability to provide aid and assistance and victory? And then it mentions in the Qur'an, let alone those deities helping you and providing you assistance and, and, and victory. They cannot even defend themselves. They cannot even help themselves. Let alone them providing you help and assistance and victory. أَنْ يُنْقِذَ نَفْسَهُ فَكَيْفَ يُنْقِذُكُمْ If some calamity, some issue befell one of those so-called deities, they would not be able to even help themselves, let alone helping others. And we're going to get to some of the narrations later about how some of the idols of the mushrikun, the animals used to come and urinate on those idols. And what did the idols do? Absolutely nothing, cannot do anything. And the uh, ayat about the fly, if it comes and takes something from you, what can the idols do? They couldn't even defend themselves against a fly. So here it is highlighting these others that they call upon. They have no ability to aid you or assist you. They cannot even do anything for themselves, help themselves, let alone others. So now the shaykh gives the example of people when they go to the graves of the dead. All of this applies. Those dead cannot aid you. They cannot assist you. They cannot provide anything for you. He says, هذا الميت المقبور المدفون لا يستطيع أن يتخلص من الموت ومن القبر ومما هو فيه مشغول عنكم بنفسه إما في عذاب وإما في نعيم لا يسمع دعاءكم. You go to the graves of a deceased individual buried there. That deceased individual cannot even do anything for himself. He is dead. He could not escape death. He cannot escape from his grave. Buried. There he is. Preoccupied with his own affair. Either in punishment in that grave or in bliss. And he does not hear your dua and your calling upon him. وَهَذِهِ الْأَشْجَارِ وَالْأَحْجَارِ التي تعبدونها جمادات لا تستطيع نصركم ولا تنصر نفسها and these trees and stones that you worship they are objects 
inanimate objects that have no ability to support you or aid you or give you victory, and neither can they do anything for themselves. And the shaykh gives an example, that the, the big idol, even if children come and harm it or step on it or do whatever, the idol would not be able to do anything. And if a fly befell that idol or came upon that idol or took something from that idol, the idol would not even be able to get it back from the fly, let alone anything else. Uh, and in fact, here it is. The Sheikh mentions an example: Yurwa anna ba'wa al-mushrikin lahu sanam, fajaa thalab wa baal alayhi. Falamma raahu abiduhu fakkara. And then he mentions the 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 poetry about it. Waqal a Rabbi yabul thalaban bi raasihi laqad hana man baalat alayhi thalabu. That there was an example, they say, of a mushrik who had an idol, some type of statue. And on one occasion, an animal, a fox, came and urinated upon that idol, that statue of his. And when that urination occurred upon the head of his idol, it is narrated that this mushrik saw this and began to think, began to ponder his so-called God and animals are coming and urinating on top of it. He began to think and then he said, can a God be the one who the, the animals, they come upon his head and degrade it and disgrace it by urinating upon it? This is a God. How can that be the God? That they come and urinate upon its head and it cannot do anything. It cannot protect itself. It cannot defend itself. وَيَدْخُلُ فِي هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ كُلُّ مَا عُبِدَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ وَالْأَنْبِيَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ وَالْأَحْجَارِ وَالْأَحْجَارِ كُلُّهَا مَخْلُوقَاتِ ضَعِيفَةِ لَا تَسْتَطِيعَ أَنْ تَنْصُرَ نَفْسَهَا فَكَيْفَ تَنْصُرُ غَيْرَهَا and everything that they worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes under this ayah. Even if they worship the angels and the prophets and the righteous, or it's the trees and the stones, whatever it might be, all of them are created by Allah. They are creations of Allah and they are weak. All of them are weak creations of Allah. And they are all created. They are not the creators. Then in the next ayah, the shaykh quotes, وَالَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِنْ قِطْمِيرِ Those who you call upon besides him, they do not even have control or they do not even possess Qitmir. Qitmir is what? Anyone? The membrane of the date. When you have a date and you get the seed out, on top of the seed there's a, a, like a transparent skin. Very thin skin that peels off the seed. That thin skin, the qitmir. 
says they do not even have that in their possession or control or ability. Why is that example given? It is an example to highlight something very insignificant. When you have your date, you throw away the seed. On that seed, that very thin film, the membrane, anybody give any attention to that? Anybody pay any type of attention to that? Is there any value to that? Do they take that off and sell it? No value to that piece of membrane on the date seed thrown in the bin. Tiny thing on top of the seed. No value to it. And that's why it's been given as an example, as something of no significance and value, even something like that, a tiny thing with no value or significance, they can't even control that. They don't even have that, let alone anything of significance and power and control. Not even the qitmir, not even the membrane of the date seed they have any power over and control over, let alone anything of actual substance. So So those who they call upon besides Allah, أي والذين تدعون من دونه أي غير الله وهذا يشمل كل ما يعبد من دون الله. So that is again in reference to anything and everything that is called upon besides Allah. And then القطمير هو الغشاء الرقيق الذي يكون على النواه وهو شيء حقير. إن تدعوهم لا يسمعوا دعاءكم ولو سمعوا ما استجابوا لكم. So the Shaykh says they do not hear your dua. All these others who you call upon besides Allah, they do not hear your dua. And even if they did, مستجابوا لكم, they would not be able to answer you or reply to you or respond to you or give you what you desire and call of them for. But when is it permissible, like we spoke about this in Al-Isti'ana or Al-Isti'atha, Al-Isti'atha, when is it permissible to call upon someone, to seek help and assistance from someone, to call upon someone, inverted commas, when is it allowed to seek help and assistance from someone? So, you could make it in three points. Number one, أَنْ يَكُونَ مَالِكًا لِمَا يُطْلَبُ مِنْهُ That they are in possession of what you seek from them. They are in possession of what you seek from them. You cannot seek from someone something they have no possession over themselves. How are they going to answer your dua on that? They must be in possession. مَالِكًا لِمَا يُطْلَبُ مِنْهُ Secondly, أَنْ يَكُونَ يَسْمَعَ الدَّاعِ That they actually hear you. If they cannot even hear you or your dua, then it's batil what you are doing. Incorrect and false. They cannot even hear you. So they must be able to hear you. الثالث, أن يكون يقدر على الإجابة. So maybe they do own, possess what you seek from them. Maybe they do hear you. But condition three, they must have an ability to be able to aid you and help you in that affair. If they have no ability to aid you in that affair, no ability to aid you in that affair, then you are committing shirk because then you are essentially asking something from them that only Allah can give you. And all of those three conditions, they are mentioned in these ayat. أَنْ يَكُونَ مَالِكًا لِمَا يُطْلَبُ مِنْهُ 
مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِنْ قِطْمِيرٍ When Allah said they do not even control or own or possess, have power over the membrane of a date seed. Therefore indicating you can only call upon someone who has what you are seeking from him. And إِن تَدْعُوهُمْ لَا يَسْمَعُوا دُعَاءَكُمْ And if you call upon them, they will not hear your dua. Indicating you can only call upon the one who hears your dua. وَلَوْ سَمِعُوا مَسْتَجَابُوا لَكُمْ And even if they heard you, they wouldn't answer you. Indicating therefore, you can only call upon the one who hears you and is able to answer your dua and your call upon them. And that's why it mentions, يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَكْفُرُونَ بِشِرْكِكُمْ On the day of judgment, they will declare their innocence from your shirk that you did with them. إِذْ جَاءَ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ يَتَبَرَّؤُونَ مِنْكُمْ وَكُلُّ الْمَعْبُودَاتِ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ تَتَبَرَّؤُ مِمَّنْ عَبَدَهَا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ حَتَّى الشَّيْطَانِ يَتَبَرَّؤُ All of these so-called deities, entities, whatever they are, that they worship besides Allah. All of those deities and entities, so-called, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah will declare their innocence of those who called upon them. Even right at the top, Shaytan himself will declare his innocence of those who were from his army in this world. From those who called upon him and obeyed him and disobeyed Allah, even Shaytan will declare his innocence of them. وَقَالَ الشَّيْطَانِ لَمَّا قُضِيَ الْأَمْرِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَعَدَكُمْ وَعَدَ الْحَقِّ وَوَعَدْتُكُمْ فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ وَمَا كَانَ لِيَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سُلْطَانِ إِلَّا أَنْ دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ So Shaytan, he will say, when the affair is concluded, when the affair occurs on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he will say, Allah promised you, a promise of truth. And I promised you, I gave you my promises, but I broke them. And I held back from them, فَأَخْلَفْتُكُمْ I did not fulfill them. And مَا كَانَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ سلطان. I, the shaytan, he will say about himself, he did not have any control over you. He did not have any power or control over you. إِلَّا except other than دَعَوْتُكُمْ فَاسْتَجَبْتُمْ لِي Shaitan will say he simply whispered to you, called you to his obedience, and you obeyed. He will say, I didn't have any power or ability over you, simply called you, whispered to you, and you obeyed. You obeyed him. فَلَا تَلُومُونِي So don't blame me. On يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا تَلُومُونِي وَلُومُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ so do not blame me, blame yourselves. So even the shaitan will declare his innocence. In the other part, uh, well, in the same, ما أنا بمصريخكم يعني ما أنا بمغيثكم That I am not someone who will save you now. I am not someone who can save you. I am not someone who can give you istighatha. I am not someone who can take you out of your calamity now. So that means the shaytan on Yawm Al-Qiyamah will say to them basically, لا أقدر على إغافتكم. 
I am not in any position to help you. I'm not in any position to save you. وَمَا أَنْتُمْ بِمُصْرِخِيَّةِ And neither are you in any position to save me. Shaitan. Neither are you, he will say to his followers, in any position to save me. Both sides are upon weakness. The one who was followed upon shirk, and he was himself upon kufr, and those who followed him, both sides of them are upon the weakness. And it's mentioned how others like the angels, they will also declare their innocence of those who worship them. And of course the angels are innocent in and of themselves anyway. وَكَذَلِكَ الْمَلَائِكَةَ يَتَبَرَّؤُونَ مِمَنْ عَبَدَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ قَالَ تَعَالَى وَيَوْمَ يَحْشُرُهُمْ جَمِيعًا ثُمَّ يَقُولُ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ أَهَاؤُلَاءِ إِيَّاكُمْ كَانُوا يَعْبُدُونَ قَالُوا سُبْحَانَكَ أَنْتَ وَلِيُّنَا مِنْ دُونِهِمْ بَلْ كَانُوا يَعْبُدُونَ الْجِنْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ بِهِمْ مُؤْمِنُونَ So when it will be said to the angels, are these the ones who used to worship you? They will say, Subhanaka, Subhanallah, you are our protector besides them. Rather, they used to worship the jinn, the shayateen of the jinn. And many of them were believers in them. يعني يعبدون الشياطين التي دعتهم إلى هذا أما نحن منهم They will say they used to worship the shayateen of the jinn who whispered to them and called them to that. We are innocent of them. وحاشا وكلا أن ترضى ملائكة الرحمن بأن تعبد من دون الله. And of course, it is not possible at all that the angels will be pleased with the worship of others, uh, with others worshipping them besides Allah. And there are many examples of this. Isa salam will declare his innocence of those who worshipped him on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Isa salam يقول الله له يوم القيامة وإذ قال الله يا عيسى ابن مريم أأنت قلت للناس اتخذوني وأمية إلهين من دون الله أو عيسى did you say to the people to take you and your mother as gods besides Allah, qala subhanaka. Once again, he glorifies Allah and frees Allah from any such statement or deficiency from him. Ma yakunu li anakula ma laysa li bihaq. He says, it would never be for me to say something which I have no right to say. In kuntu qultuhu faqad alimta. If I was to say that, you would know. Ta'alamu ma fi nafsi wa la a'alamu ma fi nafsika. You know what is in of me and I do not know what is in of you. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ You are the one who is all aware of the unseen. مَا قُلْتُ لَهُمْ إِلَّا مَا أَمَرْتَنِي بِهِ Isa will say, I did not say to them except what you commanded me with. أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبَّكُمْ To worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Meaning to the people he said to them, Worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. وَكُنْتُ عَلَيْهِمْ شَهِيدًا مَا دُمْتُ فِيهِمْ and I was a witness upon them as long as I was with them. فَلَمَّا تَوَفَّيْتَنِي كُنْتَ أَنْتَ الرَّقِيبَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأَنْتَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ شَهِيدٍ So then when uh, uh, you took me, then you were the, super, the, the one overlooking them. And you are the one who witnesses and testifies upon everything. وَكَذَلِكَ سَائِرُ الْمَعْبُودَاتِ And everything that is worshipped besides Allah, all of those things will declare their innocence of the ones who worship them. On Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So in, it mentions again in the Quran, إِذْ تَبَرَّأَ الَّذِينَ اتُّبِعُوا مِنَ الَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوا That when the ones who were followed, who were being worshipped, they will declare their innocence from the ones who were worshipping them. وَرَأَوُ الْعَذَابَ وَتَقَطَّعَتْ بِهِمُ الْأَسْبَابِ 
وقال الذين اتبعوا لو أن لنا كرة من رجوعا فنتبرأ منهم So then those who used to commit the shirk will say if only we had another opportunity then we wouldn't do that And of course there is no opportunity after that And in the Quran Allah mentions وَمَنْ أَضَلُّ مِمَّنْ يَدْعُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَنْ لَا يَسْتَجِيبُ لَهُ إِلَى يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ وَهُمْ عَنْ دُعَائِهِمْ غَافِلُونَ who is more misguided than the one who calls upon those who will not answer them till the day of judgment, till the day of resurrection. And they are heedless of their dua to them. They don't even know, they don't even hear the dua that is being made to them by these mushrikun. لا يسمعون دعاءهم في الدنيا They do not hear their dua in this world. So then it mentions, وَإِذَا حُشَرَ النَّاسُ كَانُوا لَهُمْ أَعْدَاءً وَكَانُوا بِعِبَادَتِهِمْ كَافِرِينَ So when the people are resurrected on that day, those ones who were worshipped by others, they will be enemies to them, meaning they will declare their innocence from them, and they will declare their innocence from this worship that the mushrikun were doing, using them as deities besides Allah. هذا خبر من الله سبحانه عن مصير هؤلاء المشركين يوم القيامة يخبرهم بما يكون إليه الأمر يوم القيامة من أجل أن يتوبوا إلى الله وهذا رحمة رحمة منه بعباده ولهذا قال ولا ينبئك مثل خبير So this is Allah سبحانه وتعالى informing the مشركون in the Quran now as a mercy informing them to repent now and to seek forgiveness now and to return back from their position now in what they are doing, calling upon others besides Allah. So these kinds of examples and these types of ayat are very important for many of the people now who fall into uh, severe errors in calling upon the deceased and the likes of some of the Sufis, etc. Then these kinds of evidences are very important to narrate to them, to clarify to them, so that they begin to understand the reality of Tawheed, the reality of what the pure Aqeedah is. That's where we're going to stop today. The rest of the chapter, the second half of it, it's too long to finish now. We'll finish it in the next session, inshallah, which will be in two weeks' time now. Next week, we're going to be in Sheffield, inshallah, the event, small event happening or a one-day event happening in Sheffield. So that will be that next week. This will be then the week after that. In two weeks time we'll come back to resume the second half of the chapter insha'Allah ta'ala. Any questions or anything? So khashia and taqwa. There's a bit of a difference you could say. Khashia uh, in the simplest English terms it is about fear and awe of Allah. Whereas taqwa, taqwa, there's lots of definitions of it, but one of the definitions of taqwa is that you fulfill the obedience to Allah upon guidance, desiring the reward from Allah. And you stay away from the prohibitions upon guidance of them, fearing the punishment of Allah. So taqwa is maybe a bit more comprehensive and khashya is a bit more specific to fear. Again, you could look into Thalathatul Usul, three fundamental principles at the beginning. There are some definitions there. Anybody else?
That's a general principle in enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. With enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, one aspect of that is, will the outcome of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil be a better outcome than the situation currently? If the outcome will be worse, then in that case it is not legislated for you to engage in enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Then in that case, as the hadith mentions at the end, مَنْ رَأَ مِنْكُمْ مُنْكَرًا فَلْيُغَيِّرُ بِيَدِئِ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِلِسَانِ فَإِنْ لَمْ يَسْتَطِعْ فَبِقَلْبِهِ وَذَلِكَ أَضْعَفُ الْإِيمَانِ You could be in that situation, you can't do anything about it, and so you hate it in your heart what is occurring, but you're not in a position to do anything. If you tried, then the outcome would be worse than the current situation. Then in that case, the scholars have said, you don't do it. You don't say, but this is enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. To give the example, uh, we mentioned before, Ibn Qayyim, I think, mentioned it, that uh, if you were to, or Ibn Taymiyyah, when you see a people, a group of people drinking, sitting around drinking alcohol, if you were to forbid them and scatter them, tell them to go, get their bottles and tell them to get out. So now they were sitting down committing this evil. But when you've taken their bottles off them and thrown them away and told them to go, they've gone and to fill their time with something else, they've gone and started looting people's houses and beating them up. So which was the worst of the evils in that circumstance? It was worse to enjoin the good there, stop the alcohol, because now they've gone off and done sins and crimes that were worse than what they were doing in the first place. In the first place, they were sat there committing their sin there. Now you did what you did, they've gone off harming the people and robbing them, looting them and other things. So you have to take that into consideration. Same with the uh, refutations. If you're in a location, in a location somewhere, where you have no ability to do anything, all of the people are upon a particular way, then what benefit are you going to get to stand on the member and speak against them? All tomorrow they'll come and kill you. You have to look at the maslaha. It is a part of it. It is a part of it. It cannot be said, no, but this person, he's uh, said something de- uh, deviated or whatever. I have to publicly speak out against it. It may not be the case. You may not have the ability in some circumstances. Here in the UK and these kinds of situations we're in, often it's very simple, especially if you have a masjid established, you have an organization established, you have some markas established, you could speak openly. But if you're in a situation where you're not in an established markas or, or masjid and you're amongst others, in a city where there is no Salafi mosque, etc., then you do have to start looking at these things a little bit more. It's not as simple as just saying whatever you want. There has to be some wisdom in the da'wah, how you give that da'wah, how you rectify their mistakes. It's going to be different in different circumstances. Anything else? Yeah, so if you're in the rows, in the jama'ah, and somebody in front of you in the row, his wudu breaks, if his wudu breaks, then by obligation, he must, he must exit from the prayer. You can't carry on. It is a sin to carry on. Because if you carry on now, why is it a sin? Why would that be considered a wrong? Because people, you know, you're in the jama'ah, your wudu breaks, they might be very embarrassed to walk out knowing that everybody's going to know I broke my wudu or whatever. So from embarrassment, maybe they might carry on. But that is, some scholars have said, a sin. 
Why? Why is it a sin? Why not just, okay, carry on, your prayer is not going to count, and then afterwards walk up, make wudu and do it again. It doesn't break everybody's prayer. Their prayer will still be valid, but there's something else as well. You're right about breaking the row. You've broken the row. You're not in the row anymore. You're not praying. But why is it a sin? So you're getting that, it's a condition of the prayer. So. Huh? So. He's not upon uh, uh, purification. Okay, so all of these answers are basically it. It is a condition of the prayer. From the shurut of the prayer, you have to be upon tahara to pray. If you purposely pray without purification, are you not going directly against what is in the Quran and the Sunnah, what is in the religion? You are directly and purposely going against the commandment that tells you prayer is only valid with purification. You're purposely going to carry on praying without purification. Some scholars say you're sinning now. What are you doing? You know you can't be praying right now. You haven't got wudu. Why are you stood there pretending to pray you haven't got wudu? So you have to go. So when that person goes, that gap has to be filled. It has to be filled so the person behind can step up. From the row behind, you could step up to fill the gap. Perhaps the row themselves will come together, but there'll still be a gap somewhere. So then somebody's eventually going to have to step up to fill that gap. Anybody else? What time was the prayer? I thought you were going to say, can you fight if you have kibber or something? Can you fight? <laughs> can you fight what? If you... Can anybody fight with someone without hating them? Like without hating them? Without hating them. Like Prophet was rahmatullah uh-huh. and he was so good at even the other, other people like mushrikeen. No, but the mushrikeen, there was a hatred towards the mushrikeen. You cannot say that you don't hate the mushrikeen. There is a hatred towards the mushrikeen because of the kufr and shirk that they are upon. But this is a very sensitive and delicate issue to understand. When we say that there is a hatred to the mushrikun, there is a hatred, and you're not going to have any love to the mushrikun because of the kufr and the shirk that they are upon, no doubt. But, the scholars always say, remember alongside that, the other aspect of it. And in fact, the very next lecture, we're going to get to this section. The other aspect of it is, despite a kafir being upon kufr and shirk, and you hate that, you can still obviously... Give him da'wah and tomorrow he may be from that position into a position of being your brother in Islam. So yes, there is a hatred for the kufar and the shirk and the kufar for that reason. But that hatred doesn't mean you behave like the khawarij and those individuals. That hatred is there, but then the other perspective of da'wah is there. That the kafir or the mushrik, you give them da'wah, they may become Muslim. So that one now may become Muslim. And we're going to touch upon this in the next lesson with the narration that comes up inshallah. Anything else? If you look into the books of fiqh, there is a small opinion, a small opinion, or you could say a lighter opinion, where some of the fuqaha, they said the obligation upon the men is to pray the five daily prayers in congregation. And they didn't specify the masjid. So there is a opinion, a light opinion, 
that the obligation is a congregation. If you were to do that at home, they say you fulfill the obligation. But that is obviously not what is widespread amongst the fuqaha and the scholars. What is widespread and understood with the evidences is that it should be in the masjid for the men. And there are all those narrations about the Prophet saying I wanted to burn their houses, etc. So the correct position is that it is in the masjid as the congregation for the men, if it is within your distance. And then the distance issue, all that comes up as well. The adhan, if you can hear the adhan, you're within the boundary of hearing the adhan or the limits of hearing the adhan, then it's an obligation for you to go because of the hadith of the blind man. When the blind man came to the Prophet and he sought from the messenger permission to pray at home because he was blind. He says, So can you allow me permission, ruhsa, and usalliya fil bayt? فَرَخَّصَ لَهُ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَلَمَّا وَلَّى دَعَاهُ فَقَالَ أَتَسْمَعُ النِّدَاءَ قَالَ نَعَمْ قَالَ فَأَجِبْ So when that blind man, he said, I'm blind and I have no one to take me, hold me and take me to the mosque. Can I pray at home? The Prophet said, yes. So the man turned around, got his answer, walking away. But then the messenger said, as he walking away, messenger said, but do you hear the adhan? And the man said, yes, I can. So he lived close by to the mosque somewhere. So then the messenger said, in that case, answer to the adhan. Meaning, come to the mosque then. Work it out. Come to the mosque then if you're close enough. So then the issue arises, if you live within the distance of the adhan of the mosque, you have to come. The issue then is, what is the distance of the adhan of the mosque? What is the distance of the adhan of the mosque? How far is your adhan going to go if we send you outside now? They say in the olden days, I mean, these days, distance doesn't matter how, whoever here has the biggest voice. Whoever has the biggest voice here, you could go outside and your adhan is barely going to make it to the next street behind the houses there. Barely. With your biggest voice. Because of all the, the factors here, the buildings and everything, it stops all the voice, all the sound. Sound waves aren't going to get anywhere in urbanized areas. So here, with the biggest voice, you're not going to go anywhere. With all the cars driving past, the buildings there, you're not going to go behind the buildings, your voice. Here, in urbanized areas, your voice doesn't go anywhere. But in the olden days, in, in you know, deserts and open spaces, they say the adhan of a person without any mics or anything from outside could travel not just a kilometer or two kilometers, multiple kilometers. One of them even said maybe three to four kilometers. The uh, open adhan of a person in those days, you know, the open desert and maybe some hills and echoes and things, whatever, but three or four kilometers worth. So that's why some of the scholars say, if you live within that kind of distance, which is maybe a mile, a mile and a half, there or thereabouts, you are technically within the adhan zone. And you can't take into consideration, like Sheikh Albani said, current day situations. In current day situations, your adhan won't even go to the next street. The cars and this and that and buildings... But in the olden days, it would go beyond a mile easily, a mile, a mile and a half, two kilometers, three kilometers. So if you're within that kind of zone, then some of the scholars say you are considered to be close to the mosque, you should come and pray in the congregation. If you're beyond that, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten miles away, then you're considered far away from your closest mosque. And that is the time for the Adhan. We'll conclude upon that, inshallah ta'ala, resuming two weeks.